We're getting ready to start a brand new series today. And I want to put this in context. It's called Loving Our Community. And if you remember, back in January, I declared that the year 2017 was going to be the year of love. 2018, the year of hope, which I am working on. And then 2019, the year of faith. We are taking a look at the three theological virtues that really permeate uh, our faith and the Bible. But we, uh, the first part of the year, we took a look at loving God through the Lord's Prayer. Then we took a look at loving others in our relational world through 1 Corinthians 13. Today, we're going to start a new series, taking a look at loving our community. I really believe that the greatest thrill or joy in life is the thrill of being used by God for a purpose greater than yourself. Nothing comes close to that. If you have never experienced in your life where you know that you are in the zone, where God is using you for a greater purpose than yourself, you are missing it. You see, you and I were made to serve. Now, on the other hand, if you are living for yourself, I can pretty much guarantee this that you're living a frustrated, unfulfilled, and bored life. And why do I say that? Because you yourself are not a big enough cause to live for. You need something bigger than yourself to get you outside of yourself so that you become bigger and greater than who you are. Truly, if you think that the purpose of life is, revolves around you, and it's about getting an education, getting a job, getting married, having some kids, making a lot of money, retiring and dying, you're going to miss it. You were made by God, and you were made for God, and you were made to serve, to have a huge impact. And today, as we start this new series, what I want us to do is to begin to look at God's grace and his mercy that he has shown towards us, that he wants us to then reflect and communicate to our larger community. Take a look at this verse out of Romans 6, 13. Give yourselves completely to God, every part of you, because you have been bought, brought from death to life. How? Through the grace and mercy of God. And now you want to be used by God for good and for his righteous purposes. Now, the challenge here about truly living our lives beyond our walls and reaching our community, being involved in our larger community, is that deep down inside, a lot of people have this secret fear that God would never want to use them. God can use someone else. They can, he can use her. He can use him. But he can't use me. I'm disqualified. I, I, I am unqualified. A lot of people feel disqualified because they think, you know what? I know what my past is. I know about my flops, failures, and fumbles. I know the things I have done in secret. God could never use me. And you're wrong. You're dead wrong. Or people feel unqualified. You know what? I don't have the education that they have. I don't have the upbringing that they have. I don't have the money. I don't have the time. And so a lot of people have this secret fear that God could never use them because they are disqualified or that they are unqualified. It doesn't take a rocket scientist, though, as you begin to read the Bible, to 
to understand that that is not the case, especially as you look at the Apostle Paul. When you look at history, God has never used a person more than the Apostle Paul. Folks, he single-handedly spread Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. I mean, he planted churches, he wrote books, he did all kinds of stuff. And yet, as you look at Paul's life, folks, he had a checkered past. He had an amazing past, okay? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, which we're going to take a look at today, Paul shares five secrets on how to be used of God. And it's called 2 Corinthians because it was Paul's second letter to the Christians that were in Corinth, Greece. If he was writing to you and I, it would be 2 Plano chapter 4, okay? But I regress there. But it was to the Corinthians, right? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he gives you and I five secrets on how to be used of God. And so I say this, if you want your life to count, honestly, if you want your life to know that it matters, that it is impacting your relationships, your grandkids, maybe your great-grandkids, people that you will never see, you need to know these five things. And the first one that Paul mentions is simply this. Never forget about God's grace and his mercy. God's grace is about undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. When someone forgives you, when you don't deserve it, that's God's grace. When someone shows you a kindness that you cannot pay back, that's called God's mercy. And the very first thing that Paul mentions here is this. Know and understand that everything that God does in you and that God does through you, he does by his grace and his mercy. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. God in his mercy has given us this ministry and work to do. Will you circle the word ministry? That's why we do not become discouraged and never give up. Now, I don't want you to freak out with that word called ministry. Because basically, ministry is nothing more than this. It is using your talents to help other people. It is not a churchy thing. Folks, it is a worldly thing. It's not something that you do just in the church, folks. It's something that you do in the community and in the world. When you use your gifts out of love to serve your community, to serve other people, that's called ministry. And Paul says, God in his mercy has given us this work to do. And our work in these next, I don't know, two, three months is we're going to run, we're going to give, and we're going to serve. We're going to run, and we're going to support our local partners in helping homelessness. And that ties right in with the hurricane thing, because they're coming here, right? And then we're going to give. Why? Sacrificially. $33 per person uh, in a household. For three months, we're seeking to raise $200,000. We've got two churches lined up, and we're getting ready to go down there and help the people in Houston. And then we're going to serve through our small groups. And so we've got this work to do. Why? Because you and I were created to contribute in our life. You and I were given a shape. Your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personalities, your experience in life, God gave them to you as a reflection of his grace and his mercy. 
And you and I need to understand that. You see, there's some benefits for understanding this grace that God has expressed to us and this mercy that he's expressed to us. One of those is this. When you understand God's grace and mercy, as you begin to use your talents, what that will do is it will help you not to fall into the trap of having to prove your worth, which helps out, by the way, with workaholism. A lot of people work, 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 work all the time. Why? Because they think the more they work, the more they're worth. That's just not true. Your worth is tied up in the fact that God made you with a certain shape and Jesus Christ died for you. When you and I realize and understand God's grace and mercy, you don't have to get into the performance trap with anybody. The second thing that happens when we begin to realize God's grace and mercy is this, that when we serve and we mess up, we don't have to wallow in our mistakes. Now, the reality is this. We all make mistakes, don't we? You make mistakes, I make mistakes. We got flops, failures, and fumbles. We've got things that we are not proud of, that we are ashamed about, our secret sins. But when you understand the grace and mercy of God, you don't have to wallow in it. You don't have to be stuck in your past where you can't enjoy the present and reach for the future. Now, I know and understand some people would say, you know what? You just don't know my past, Pastor George. You don't know the things that that I've done, the things that I'm ashamed of. And you're right, I don't. But it doesn't matter. Before Paul was a pastor or a preacher or a teacher or whatever you want to call him, do you realize that he was a terrorist? If he lived in the 21st century, he would have been ahead of ISIS, okay? He was an anti-Christian terrorist. And yet as he wrote to his kind of partner in crime, his right-hand man, Timothy, he said this in 1 Timothy 1, I thank Christ Jesus because he trusted me and he gave me, that is God's grace, this work of serving him. Later in Galatians, he, he adds to this, you know what I was like, how I violently persecuted Christians. I did my best to get rid of them, but then something happened. For it pleased God in his kindness to choose me and call me even before I was born. What undeserved mercy. Will you circle the words choose and call? You see, your past doesn't preclude your future. Truly, your past is past. It's done. It's over with. And Paul is saying here, when God made him, the shape that he was, an expression of God's grace, a gift. He says, when God made me, he knew what he made me to do, what he made me to be, okay? And he knew at the very same time all the stuff that I would do wrong. And yet he still chose me and he still called me. Folks, the same is true for you. God has called you. And he has chosen you you because of his grace and his mercy you are not disqualified you are not unqualified if god limited himself to just working with perfect people folks nothing would get done things happen because of god's grace and his mercy as he chooses and as he calls i mean listen to this list of unqualified and disqualified people. Abraham was old. 
I'm old. My wife, as you know, has had cataract surgery. She's got new lenses. She just had the floater sucked out of her eyeball this past week. She came out of anesthesia. She sees better. Her first comment was, George, you look worse than I thought. I'm old. The curves don't go in anymore. They go out, okay? Abraham was old. Jacob was a liar. Chronic liar, by the way. Gideon was poor. Samson had a lust problem. Rahab was a prostitute. Jonah was fearful. Elijah and Jeremiah, catch this one. They thought suicidal thoughts. Get ready for the year of hope because we're going to deal with that. Naomi was uh, an old widow. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Peter was impulsive. That is a list. Wouldn't you agree? So what's your excuse of why God can't use you? Folks, there really isn't one. Will you write this down? Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. When you see someone that says, man, that, that person's really good, that, that lady's really good, that guy's really good, I mean, they're, they're, they're really giving their life away for the glory of God and the good of others. Understand this. They have a checkered past. They've got flops, failures, and fumbles. They got all kinds of things that you and I don't see from the outside. Every, every saint has a, a past, and every sinner has a future, and God wants to use you, and he wants you to experience living your life in the zone where you just know when you're there, I mean, I was made for this God. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 2 when he talks about this new life. Take a look at this in Ephesians 2.10. It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to experience the rush, truly, of helping other people. But it starts first by remembering God's grace and his mercy. The second thing that Paul mentions in this chapter is this, is that you gotta be real. You got to be authentic. You, got, you, got, you can't fake it, okay? You've got to be genuine. You've got to be who God has created you to be. You can't be someone else. A lot of times we start off as originals, but we end up as carbon copies. We end up being someone else. And God says, no, I don't want you to be anybody else. I want you to be you. If you're not going to be you, who's going to be you? I don't want you to be like Abraham or, or Elijah or, or your brother or your sister. I definitely don't want you to be like Pastor George and wear a Hawaiian shirt, okay? That would be terrible, right? Thanks. <laughs> but a lot of people think that they gotta be something different in order for God to use them. And folks, it's just not true. If you think that you've got to be someone else to win God's approval, or as far as that goes, to win anybody's approval, you know what you're going to experience in life? You're going to experience three things. You're going to experience stress because you're going to be under performance trap. Secondly, you're going to experience the fear of being exposed because you're not being who you are. And thirdly, you're going to be manipulating people. All three of those dynamics occur when you and I are afraid to be 
who God has made us to be. Now, Paul addresses this. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. We don't try to trick anyone, and we don't twist the word of God. Instead, we teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we really are. Then they can know in their hearts that what kind of people we are in God's spirit. Will you circle the word really? He's saying, you need to be real. He's saying, you know what? I didn't fake it when I was amongst you, Corinthians, okay? I was transparent. I was the genuine thing. So let me say this again. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you, but you do need to be real. Now, folks, I know you understand this, but I'm gonna say this again. I am a very, very, very flawed person. And if you don't believe it, you can talk to my staff. In fact, just the other, this past week, a, a staff person came to me and was talking with a volunteer and just singing my praises. Oh, Pastor George this, and oh, Pastor George this. And this staff member was complimentary, but she came to me, she says, George, and she told me about this event, and she says, George, they don't know you. <laughs> you didn't tell them, did you? <laughs> if you want to know how flawed I am, just talk to my staff. Or my kids. Better yet, my wife. She's got new eyes now. She knows, okay? See, the reason why I mention my flaws, and you know that I do, my fears, my anxieties, the things that I'm struggling with, is because, first of all, I want you to know that I know what they are. But secondly, I share my flaws because I want you to see, you know what? If God can use Pastor George... Maybe he can use me. You see, in 40 years, almost 40 years of ministry, I have discovered this, that other people don't really grow through someone's strengths. Someone comes up to you and says, hey, I'm really good at this, man. I'm good here and I'm good there. You're going to think, that guy's got an ego. Hey, good for you, goody two-shoes. Okay? They're, they're not going to feel close to you because, folks, that's where, that's where learning happens. Happens in intimacy when you're close, knee to knee, face to face. Instead, they're going to feel jealous of you or envious of you or maybe even mad at you. But on the other hand, if you're real, you say, you know, I've made mistakes. Helicopter. Here are my anxieties. Here's my fears. Here's the things that I'm struggling with. I didn't do it right here with my kids. Whatever. What will result is intimacy. There'll be closeness. From that closeness comes opportunities to grow. So you got to be real. Truly the secret of growth, ministering to people, Comes, comes through intimacy and being real with them. When you live an authentic life, I guarantee you this, life is going to get better in your relationships. If you fake it, life is going to get worse. And the number one barrier to experiencing this rush of living in the zone, of knowing that your life is hitting the bullseye, 
is the fear of being real. And how it works is like this. If I really let you know who I really am, the fears that I have, the, the, the flops that I've, I've made, the mistakes, you may not like me. And if you don't like me, and this is all I am, I'm screwed. And so the, anti, the antidote of your insecurity is this. It is getting God's spirit of grace and mercy inside of you. When you get God's spirit of grace and mercy inside of you, what happens is that you begin to realize God's unconditional love, that he will never, ever stop loving you, that he will never not forgive you. And then secondly, you will realize that you are a child of God. Folks, when you and I realize the grace and the mercy of God, it liberates us to be who God made us to be. Take a look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. The spirit we receive does not make us slaves again to fear. It makes us children of God. Paul is saying there that you and I have a couple options. We can either live under the bondage of fear or we can live with the freedom of being sons and daughters of God. You and I have a choice. We can live with the bondage of fear and hunker down, live our lives in a shell, faking it, or we can live in freedom because we understand and have God's spirit of grace and mercy inside of us, helping us know that we are children of God. So you, gotta for, you, got, you can't forget the grace and mercy of God. You gotta be real. Number three, Paul says this, you gotta remember it's not about me. Folks, every time you and I think that it's about me, when problems come, you'll get bitter. Or if blessings come, you'll get prideful. In other words, what I'm saying is when life comes at you, whether it is good or whether it's bad, if you have the attitude that it is all about me, it will become personal. Paul addresses this in verse 5. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Our message is not about ourselves. It is about Jesus Christ as the Lord. We are merely your servants for Jesus' sake. It's interesting, he uses that phrase two times, for Jesus' sake. He uses it two times. In essence, he's saying, you know what? It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. Let me personalize it. It's not about me, and it's not about you. This is the most counterculture thing there is out there because our society says the exact opposite, doesn't it? It's all about you. You're number one. You gotta look out what, for what's best for you. Folks, it's not about you, and it's not about me. I get tested with this all the time, again and again and again, maybe 30, 40 times a day. When an opportunity comes to live beyond our walls as a church, George, it's not about you. When I get criticized, George, it's not about you. When I get praised for something, George, it's not about you. When, when someone is, is ticked at me because of some misunderstanding, George, it's not about you. I have followed Christ for 40 years. 
And I have sought to make myself available to him. God, use me as you see fit. And one of the things that I've learned in 40 years of ministry is simply this. It's all about motivation. God is far more interested in why you do what you do than in what you do. You could do a hundred different things with your life. And I have people go, George, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? What God would just say, fine. Why? Because what's, what God is interested in isn't the what so much as the why. You may choose to do the right method, but do it for the wrong reason. God said, that doesn't count. Or you may choose an ineffective method, not, not a good one at all, the wrong method. But you're doing it for the right motive, and God says, that's fine, I'll bless it. You see, why is always more important than what? And when you begin to figure out the why of life, God will show you the how. Folks, it's all about motivation. And so you gotta remember, it's not about me. I see this happening with, with believers all of the time. They become a believer and they start getting involved in ministry and they do it out of an attitude, they do it with the right attitude, out of an attitude of gratitude. But slowly over time, their right motivation turns into a wrong motivation. They want the applause. They want to be on center stage. They want all the praise. And all of a sudden, that servant has become a celebrity. They've lost the right motivation. It's not about me. It's not about me. And Paul is crystal clear about this. He says, we are just servants of Jesus Christ. And he sets up, so to speak, this word picture to help his audience, the, the Corinthians, understand this by describing himself as a clay jar. Listen to this. We are like clay jars in which this treasure is stored. The real power comes from God and not from us. Do you see the motivation here? He said, we're just clay jars. That's all we are. We're clay jars. We're, we're easily cracked. It's all about God. In essence, I would say he's saying, you know what, he's, he's a crackhead, okay? Or a crackpot, okay? Not a pothead, we don't live in Colorado, but he's, he's, he's a crackpot. That was good. Here's my point. Because we're talking about God's grace and God's mercy, and we're talking about understanding that it's not about us. A pot that thinks that it's all about them. A perfect pot doesn't let the light shine through. I don't see God in your life, really. But a pot that's cracked, a pot that says, you know what? I'm a broken vessel. And I got flops, failures, and fumbles in my life. I got fears and I got anxieties. By the way, I'm a real person. I'm flawed. The light is able to shine through. And what does light 
do. It attracts things, doesn't it? And when God, when people see God's light through your life, they'll go, wow, isn't God awesome? Truly every person that God has used to draw other people to himself have been flawed in so many ways. Somehow, some way, they've been flawed. But God, but they have chosen to share their brokenness with the world. And as a result, people are attracted. And as a result, people grow. Ministries get birthed. In this series, we're going to have four of our partners that are part of this coalition that won the million dollars. And today, we have Epi from Shiloh's place, and I want her to come up here and share with us about her life. Epi, come on. Let's give her a big round. Epi. Woohoo! Love you. Let's go for this. Okay. Hi. This is Epi from Shiloh's place, and we'll get to what that is all about, okay, in a moment. But Epi, I'd like you to share your story. Okay. Absolutely. So I love how God always uh, reminds us of our failures and brokenness when we start getting too prideful, which is why he scheduled me to speak today. Um, <laughs> so my journey started back when I was in college. I was debating between going into healthcare, uh, majoring in biochemistry, or into ministry. And I felt that I was getting called more and more to ministry. And and through some different mission projects, I ended up coming on staff at a church as the youth director. And so after about nine or ten months in that position, um, I found out I was pregnant. And I was not married. <laughs> um, so obviously that was an incredibly humbling and um, embarrassing failure moment. Um, here I was the one who is supposed to be speaking into the lives of the youth of our church and pointing them to a more godly lifestyle, and instead I am resigning because I felt I had completely disqualified myself from that role. Um, then into the future, um, I'm just going to stick with healthcare. I'll get my degree and, and move on from there. So fast forward a while, um, married, more kids, working. I'm really looking forward to to taking, we're to a place where I can be a stay-home mom and I can enjoy doing some volunteer work. But obviously I have a heart towards crisis pregnancies, single moms, and so I'm looking for a place to volunteer. And um, in McKinney, I started training in to be a counselor at a crisis pregnancy center. And as I was there uh, with another friend of mine, we were looking and going, these women who are coming in are in such desperate places. Um, we we're counseling them to keep their babies and they're choosing life, um, but then they're going home to condemned housing. They're going home to abusive relationships. They're sleeping in cars. So, so what have we perpetuated in their life and in the life of their children? Where does the cycle end? How do we address that next step? And so we wanted to start volunteering in that area. Um, and we looked around and we found that there was nothing that addressed that next step in our area. Um, and so we started Shiloh. And I, I think it's hilarious that um, 
my degrees in biochemistry. I've been in healthcare my whole year. What do I know about counseling and starting a ministry? But I'm completely unqualified, and that's why I pray a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you ought to see Epi, okay? I, I wish you could have been a mouse in the room, this boardroom, with all these Toyota execs, okay? And it came for Epi's time to share, and you could just see the spirit just woof into the place, and people's just wow. And so God's got a calling on your life. I am glad to be a part of it. But tell us about Shiloh, okay? Oh, so Shiloh is for single moms. Uh, who are either homeless or at risk of homelessness. That means they're sleeping on someone's couch. They might be in a shelter or sleeping um, in their car. And what we do is we help these moms. We stabilize them first. We get them out of crisis. We provide housing. We um, provide child care so they can work. We, um, but then we also prepare them to move into the next phase of their life by paying for all of their education to go back to school and get ahead of household job. So in Collin County, you need $45,000 a year um, to, to, get to, that, to get to that place. And that's a, a key component is that education. But not only are our moms at Shiloh um, to get stable and, and move forward, but it, we're not a hand out. We really are a hand up. Uh, we don't want to, to enable and to tell them to portray the message that you're not capable of doing it yourself because you have strength, you have worth. God loves you and equipped you to lead your family. So you don't need to depend on the, the, great, the, the charity of others that keep telling you that you're not good enough. God equipped you to be the mother to your children. And so we bring accountability, we bring life skills, we come alongside them in, in prayer and encouragement. Um, frankly, a lot of the moms that come to Shiloh are very angry with God. They have either decided that he does not exist or he does not love them because um, they are unworthy or he does not love them because they have sinned. And um, so they feel that they are on their own and either they are completely broken down and depressed or they are so angry and resentful that it's very hard for them uh, when we open our time in prayer. But by the time they leave at Shiloh, um, not only are they able to lead their families and have a head of household job and be financially self-sufficient, but they are personally whole. They have reconciled with God. Um, one of our beautiful families, she set up a devotion area in her apartment because that was her strength every night. She just needed that for her and her kids. It was awesome. You were awesome, okay. Uh, now, Epi is one of the partners of this five-partner coalition, okay. Uh, there's Hope Store, help me, Epi. Hope Store, Family Promise, Agape, Collin County Cares, that's us, and then there's Shiloh, okay. Now, each of the different partners has a expertise to this grant that we're getting. Uh, what's, what's your part? Kind of describe that for us. So our section, our kind of expertise is the education component. So as I mentioned before, that's a, that's a big part of what our program is, not just to stabilize them, but to move them forward. And so we've worked really carefully, really closely with um, Collin College, Grayson College, Dallas College, Texas Workforce, to find career fields that um, can get to that head of household job. For us, that's at least $45,000 a year. Salary, benefits, that's what you need as a single mom in Collin County to not need government assistance. So that doesn't happen on a high school diploma or a GED, right? So the only way to do that is to get that extra training. But we often think 
that means a bachelor's degree. Uh, the reality is, is it doesn't. There are lots of fields. We have a book that thick of different fields that you can complete in less than 14 months. Um, you can get an LVN in 14 months, and that's a head of household job. You can get a certified bookkeeper. You can be an HR specialist. You can, we also encourage our moms, look outside of the traditional female jobs, because there's a lot of great jobs out there with great job potential. Um, HVAC per, um, technician, you think, oh, I can't lift a, you know, a big machine. You do maintenance on it and check it. That's a great head of household job. Welding, you can complete that in nine months and have six figures. That is a great head of household job. So um, we really work with our moms and um, with the coalition to get our families back into the workforce quickly and moving forward with their family financially self-sufficient. So we got Epi working on tra uh, trans or not uh, education. Then we've got uh, a family promise working on um, transportation. transportation. Go ahead and share all those things, Epi, because <laughs> I can't remember them all. I, I live this world. I know um, you do. <laughs> um, Agape is specializing in the housing component. Fam um, Hope's Door is specializing in the child proponent. The idea behind the collaborative is that we come around and we stabilize every aspect of their lives and equip them and strengthen them to move forward so they can have an entirely new future. They're no longer stuck in that poverty, that cycle of poverty, but they're, they have a new future for them and their children and that generation. That's a great legacy. And we're the glue. So I, I give that to LifePoint Church and Holly and the staff. So yeah. go God. Holly holds us all together. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Story. Tell, uh, stories change lives. So give us a couple of stories. Absolutely. So I'm going to tell you our very first family and our most recent graduate. So our very first mom that moved in um, was, um, was a survivor of domestic violence. Um, she literally, after about 10 years, ran out of her house one night at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning in nothing but her nightgown. Half of her teeth were broken out. Um, and it was just, it just gone too far. Uh, she had a three-year-old daughter that, with police escort, they came back and got two days later. And that was really her motivator for change. Um, it's very easy for, for people in, in violence to get stuck in that cycle, and they need that impetus, and frequently it's children. But she knew that in leaving, she would be absolutely homeless and completely broke. She had no possessions. She had no income. Um, and so it was either stay in this place where I have a house, um, but... Uh, face domestic violence every day or leave and be completely homeless and, and all those fears and uncertainties, but I'm going to protect my child. And that's what she chose. So after a short stay at Samaritan Inn, she came to us. And during her time with us, she got a full-time job. She got a degree in uh, business administration. She ultimately got hired by the Collin County Central Appraisal District. Please don't hate her. She doesn't determine your taxes. Um, and while she was with us, she was able to save up money. She got all her teeth fixed. She has the most beautiful smile. And when she moved out of Shiloh, she put a down payment on her first of her home. So she, her daughter is now in third grade. They are fabulous yeah. and stable, and they have a completely new trajectory to their life than when they came. Absolutely. Our, um, our most recent graduate is the mother of three. She was an Army uh, veteran. She'd been in during 9-11. Um, but over the last few years, she'd gotten out, and she had two children, and one day her husband just left. Um, she literally could not file for a divorce because she had no idea where he was at. 
Um, so um, she was stuck. She was stuck in this place where she couldn't get some of the help that she needed. She couldn't find him. She was broke. Um, she was living um, from couch to couch, uh, working evenings so she could try and take care of her kids during the day. And um, shortly after he left, she um, didn't feel well, went to the doctor and found out she was pregnant. She said, with my other two children, I was so excited. And with this one, I just cried. I couldn't take care of us as it was. How was I going to take care of another baby on top of it? Um, so shortly after he was born, he came to Shiloh. And she went back to school um, and got a degree as a medical lab technologist. And so she is working now. Uh, while she was with us, she um, got a car, paid off her car, saved money. By the time she left, she had $5,000 in savings. She was debt-free, and she has a full-time job, and she's the one who set up the devotion in her, in her apartment. Um, so all of her kids are really plugged into church. It is, it is a beautiful thing to see. Okay, give it up, okay? That is awesome. Now... It is all God, that's true. But Epi, this is, this is church. This is life point, okay? Half or whatever. <laughs> Maybe a third. First third came to first service. This is second third. The other third at the Cowboys game, okay? But I won't be bitter. It's not about me. Uh, okay, you got a minute. What's on your heart? Tell, tell Life Point Church about it. All right, so uh, if you don't know, this Thursday is North Texas Giving Day. And then, of course, with Outrun Homelessness coming up, um, we've heard a lot about what about Harvey? Uh, what about all the hurting down there? What about the needs down there? Or we've had people come and say, you know, I, I know I usually support you, but I really feel compelled to give to Harvey. And I would say, please give to Harvey, Harvey and to Irma and all those hurting people. But please do not do that instead of supporting your local ministries. Um, our need is going to continue to increase along with Harvey. Those single moms down there who are displaced, working in hourly jobs down there, they're not going to go back and try and rebuild. They come up here. We got a big rush of people from um, Katrina, and it's going to happen again. It's already happening. We've already gotten phone calls. Um, so we depend on your support. Um, if you transfer your support down there, when they get up here, there won't be someone to help them here. So um, go and be it's going to take a long time to rebuild, but, but don't leave us abandoned back here either. Let's give it up for Epi, okay? Epi, love you. Yeah. Epi will be out in the lobby, and you can talk with her. So, there is another thing. Fourth, that Paul shares real quickly is this. Use your pain to help others. Use the things that you're ashamed of. You use the things that you've been hurt by. Use your problems. Paul had an enormous amount of pain in his life. And, and I believe that's why God used him so much. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, which we're not going to read for the sake of time, but he rips off 24 things, painful events in his life. And if you asked him, if he were here and you, we were able to ask him, why did you go through those painful things, he would give you two answers. He would say, first of all, I know, I know that God is with me. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 4. We often suffer, but we are never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us. He'd say, hey, God was with us. We, we can handle anything. 
But the second one is this. Take a look at this in verse 15. All of these sufferings of ours are for your benefit. Stop right there. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about redemptive suffering. He's talking about suffering that you go through to benefit other people. You and I will go through three types of suffering in life. Suffering that we bring on ourselves. Kind of like, you know, you don't eat right, you gain weight, your blood pressure goes up, okay? Cholesterol goes up. You may get a heart attack from that. Like I've said, we are our worst enemies, are we not? The other type of suffering is what I call innocent suffering. Someone has hurt you. But the highest form of suffering is redemptive suffering. It's when you suffer for other people. When you put up with the headaches and the heartbreaks and the pain and the problems for other people. Jesus on the cross, that's redemptive suffering. He suffered sexually, he suffered physically, he suffered emotionally and mentally, he suffered relationally across the board. Why? That we might experience the grace and mercy of God and that he, and that would be spread throughout the world. Paul's saying here, I want you to use all three for the benefit of others. And he more, and the more of you who are one to Christ, the more there are to thank him for his great mercy and the more God gets glory. Paul says, I just keep going with all the suffering that's in my life because I want to see people come to know Jesus. Folks, that's what Life Point is all about. We want people to come to know Jesus through our running, the homeless in Collin County, through our giving, so that the light of Christ can be shared with thousands and thousands of people in Houston that don't know Jesus, and by going down there and serving. Now, this is a challenge as we get older. It really is. We have to fight empath- or we have to fight complacency. Paul even mentions this in 2 Corinthians 4. <clears throat> 16 and 17, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, in other words, we're getting older, our spirits are being renewed every day, for our present troubles are quite small and 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 won't last very long, yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. He, in essence, is saying, you know, let's just be real. We're all getting older, okay? We're all getting older. We're getting bifocals and bulges and, and, and uh, baldness, okay? I got the boldness and I got the bifocals, okay? I don't have the boldness, but I, th- those things work on us. And Paul's saying, let's just be real. We're getting older, and I don't care how much Botox you take. It, you're not going to get any younger, but guess what? You don't have to get old in your spirit. Two, Moses sent two guys into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Caleb was 40 years old. When they finally entered into the promised land, it was said of him, though he was old, he was young of heart, that he, that he, he was rejuvenated, that he was refreshed, that he was energized. Folks, you and I can't put off the aging process, but we can prevent our spirits from being old. When I read this, I think, I am never, ever gonna give up. God renew my spirit. And this is what Life Point is all about. It's in our mission statement. We join people seeking purpose and we offer life 
a rejuvenating life through Jesus Christ. And then the last one is this. Will you just write this down? Stay focused on eternity. I'll read this verse in verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. You keep focused on eternity. You see, there are three types of motivation in life. There's internal motivation, where you kind of psych up yourself. There's external motivation, where other people come in and kind of pump you up. And then there is eternal motivation. And you and I need all three. There are times when we just need to be alone and we just, God, pump me up. And you just review things that God has spoken to you about. There are other times that you are in community and you let other people speak into your life to lift you up. But then you need eternal motivation. And the best place to get these three are in groups. I want to challenge us. You may not be in a community group. You may not be in a Bible study group. Get in one. If for no other reason, just for the season of getting in a group as we go down to Houston to see needs get met through serving the hurting and the helpless, maybe the even the hopeless and homeless down there. Get in one. See, see Ben. Write it on your card. Because next week, I'm pulling the small group guys together. We've got the plan. We're going to start executing. If you're a small group leader, be there. Because it's happening. So, what do we do? We run. That's what we're going to do to help our partners. we got this coming month to get ready for it. So get in shape. Number two, we give $33 per person in your household for three months. That'll raise about $200,000. We're going to work through three churches to get that done, okay? And then we're going to go down and serve. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you for your grace and for your mercy and for how it transforms our life from the inside out, God. We don't want to be those who are a vessel that we think that it's all about us, where we just kind of keep it all to ourselves. God, we want to be real. We want what you have done in us to be seen to the world, that others may be attracted to Jesus, that they may know who he is, that he is a God who is filled full of unconditional love and a God who wants to bless And so, God, be with our church in the weeks and in the months ahead. God, we're not a perfect church by far, but we're a church that's seeking to be used by you in our community and in our state now. And so we lift this up to you, giving you this in your son's name. Amen.